It is good to be here. It's, it has been a while, and uh, but the cool thing is we've got a lot of roots uh, between our organization and this church. I mean, the reality is uh, we all come from you know a common point. The Ugandan Water Project was uh, birthed out of uh, Isaiah six. Um, I was working, running the whole back end of that ministry when I first met a man from Uganda, and that, and then you know, really started Ugandan Water Project out of Isaiah 6 as a covering. And uh, similarly, that was the same ministry out of which Derek and his family and some of you began this church. And so it's kind of cool to be among family that has roots that go back that far. It's been a long time. This is where the rubber meets the road. Let's see if we got an actual... Hey, look at that. And, um, And so... Rather than just spend 35 minutes together uh, giving you basically an advertisement for Ugandan Water Project, uh, because we are a spiritual family, we, we really, I really wanted to spend some time talking about you know, this whole idea of uh, I am the God who changes nations, right? tying into the themes that you've been looking at. And really, uh, my hope is that you would find yourselves um, uh, provoked and equipped to make an impact in, in the world around us. And certainly I'll share some about what we're doing at UWP. Um, and really, you know, if, if we can get through it all, I'd really love to save some time. I've got my, my uh, clock up here uh, for a little interactive because the truth is um, it's awfully audacious for me to think that all the value is going to come in one direction this morning. Um, and so I'd really love uh, for you to be able to ask some questions and, and that towards the end. And we can, and that can be about you know, the organization and the work we're doing, or it can be about what we talk about over the next few minutes. So that's your fair warning. I'll be very disappointed in you if we get to that point and there's no questions. I'll be like, I don't know. We need to pour the coffee or something. But um, just, just know that this will be two-way at some point, hopefully. So uh, what I want to talk about, the God, I am the God who changes nations. Uh, we talk about some of those things on a grand scale in the church, right? We, we pray pretty grand prayers about God doing things in the nations, right? Has anybody done that? Has anybody in this, sat in these chairs before and prayed that God would change the nations? I have spent years praying prayers like that. The, you know, when, it, when the Bible talks about the nations, it resonates deeply within me. And, uh, and yet, it's taken a long time to come to grips with the fact that when we're asking God to change the nations, usually his plan involves us. And oftentimes it takes time for us, meaning you know all of us, to be actually fit for use to execute that plan. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, ideas around that, and specifically uh, that when God wants to change nations, he raises up champions to do that, and one of the most important parts of uh, becoming a champion or being identified as a champion to do something requires competency. So the two things I really want to hit hard today as, in order so that we have something usable tomorrow is this idea that God, he establishes champions for a task and a key ingredient in being a champion is competency. So, uh, yeah, all right. Some of you can read that, some of you can't. I want to, we need a couple of base ingredients in order to really build this conversation. So Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him 
all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So again, in order to really talk about these things, we need a few uh, just foundational pieces. And one of them is out of Colossians that what is it that, that the Father sent the Son to do? Well, there's a lot of ways we can answer that. There's certainly a lot of different smaller pieces, but the, overall ar- the overarching work was to reconcile all things. And what does that mean? It means to bring into right relationship, to reconcile. That's really exciting. And I'd love to elaborate more on what all things means, but it's, it's a little hard to do that just by the term, right? It's all things. And I'm really grateful that, that the purpose of Christ's coming is to reconcile all things, because I think we would all agree when we look around us, there's a lot of things that need to be reconciled, to be brought back into right relationship with God. We're surrounded not just by uh, broken people, but broken systems. Like there's, there's, We're aware of the brokenness around us. We all have our own lives that, that have, uh, you know, there's, there's good, there's bad, there's things that are made whole in my life, and there's things that are still broken in my life. And we see that whether it's in my life, my family, my community, my neighborhood, the places I've worked, all the churches I've ever been in, right? And if they, if they, if they weren't broken, they were as soon as I walked in the door. Um, so it, it's very encouraging that the mission is to reconcile all things. Because if the mission was just to get us to heaven, then the, the Christian experience is a very different thing. It basically involved a salvation experience followed by an execution. <laughs> right? That's one of, that'd be the most, you know, time efficient. Right, Randy? <laughs> uh, and so, uh, where did I just put that paper? Did I do it? Where did it drop? Oh, there it is. It was folded. <laughs> all right. Um, so reconciling all things. So, so with that as a foundational stone, I also want to then look at this next verse. Boom. This one right here. Right there. There we go. Okay. (laughs) And this is out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So sort of what we were referencing there in Colossians. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning their transgressions, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you in Christ, on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, that's a lot of reading for an early morning, but this is, you know, all of this is really important, again, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like to highlight a couple of things. One, we just talked about how the purpose of the Father sending the Son was to reconcile all things, right? And here it goes a little further and says that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, now, that word ministry is an interesting one. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I am equipped with Google. And, uh, and the same Greek word for ministry, um, it's really uh, valuable to dive into that because 
you know, in the Christian experience, if we're not careful, the word ministry is basically our substitute for miscellaneous. Have you experienced that? You know, hey, well, what were you doing there? Oh, we're doing ministry. Great. What does that mean, right? It, it, it can be very vague and elusive, right? And so I think it's oftentimes a really good habit for us as believers to, uh, when we hear the word ministry, to immediately ask some more questions. And it might be often a good habit as well that in place of using the word ministry when we're talking about what we are doing or what God is doing in the world, to maybe elaborate on the activity so that we can clearly communicate things. Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves you know, sort of elusively talking about something without pinning it down in a way that's really understandable. Does that make sense? Okay, so he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because the Greek word is often used in situations where they're talking about uh, a service, right? Gave us the service, right? There's an active ut- utility to that, to that word. Gave us the service of re- reconciliation. Also, this word uh, used, Paul uses it when he's uh, going out and, and trying to provide relief, right? There, that's an intervention with some stakes attached to it, relief. And then the other word that is often associated with that Greek word uh, ministry is mission, right? You're getting ready to you know, get to know your missionaries better in the coming weeks. We talk about being on mission. And it, you know, so there's a way that you could read this. In Corinthians says, God, uh, he has given us the mission of bringing things into right relationship. And the nice thing about it being all things, right? That I, Christ came to reconcile all things and then gave us the mission of bringing all things into right relationship, right? We're serving under his purpose, is that there's a lot of us doing a lot of very different things, very practical lives that we live, and they fit under that category of all things. And, uh, and that means that you don't have to be a professional Christian in order to be active in the purpose of God. And that's really helpful because most of us are not employed by Church Incorporated, right? We're not getting paid to be good. We're good for nothing. No, that's not what I'm. That's the wrong message. <laughs> Sorry about that. You get back to the notes, James. Back to the notes. Uh, but it is we, we. There's there's such breadth to what it takes to reconcile all things, whether you work in offices or fields, whether you whether you are in an arena with a white collar or dirt under your fingernails. Whether you turn a wrench or you turn a phrase, it's all under the banner of all things. And that's encouraging because that, that means it's, it's for me, it's for you, right? Another thing I want to highlight here is where it says, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I tend to be an action-oriented person, and so when it says committed to us the word, I was curious, mostly out of my own dissatisfaction. Talk is cheap, Right? And uh, especially in the information age, it surrounds us. There's the, the volume of words is everywhere. Now, at the same time, it pulls on the reality of I am, you know, Jesus is the word, the living word. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, he's not cheap. Um, it, so what does this really mean? It has committed to us. And again, if you look into the original language and, and, and dive into that meaning, um, another way of looking at that in a, it, the picture is um, that... That reconciliation, the word of reconciliation was not committed, but planted in us. And so that's, that's something that's very, it really resonates with me. I'm like, okay, there's this, this idea of making all things, bringing it all into right relationship, that was planted into me. 
And things that are planted get cultivated and fed and, and germinate and grow and bear fruit. Right? We have this growing cycle imagery. And so, again, we're, we're, starting, to, we're starting to pick up enough in details here to start formulating ideas and getting ourselves into some real trouble. All right? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Okay, so that's an interesting part of this, right? Ambassadors. This is something, again, um, within ministry, within the miscellaneous, we often talk about. We've heard, anybody heard about, you know, that phrase of being ambassadors for the, for the Lord, ambassadors of the kingdom, ambassadors of Christ? Uh, we toss that around. Anybody in this room ever met an ambassador? You never know. I always ask. Yeah? Who'd you meet? The ambassador, to, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, and when we understand, like, it, unfortunately, we've allowed the value of that term to slip. Mostly because we live non-diplomatic lives, right? Most of the time, you know, if you've ever gone into another country when you're going through immigration, they always have a diplomatic line, right? And I always look longingly at it because it's always like, oh, I bet it'd be faster if I had a diplomatic passport, Right? But because that's not part of our normal life experience, we don't necessarily understand the real value of this concept of being an ambassador. And yet we toss it around, you know, in church, and, and I don't think that we should stop. I just think that we should maybe revalue that. And so I was looking at this, and I'm going, what does that really mean? You know, when, when someone is sworn in as an ambassador, like Natalie Brown is the ambassador from the United States to Uganda. And when they're sworn in as an ambassador... They are sworn in as an ambassador. There's like some formal process to that, obviously. And they're, they're sworn in as an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. Like that's, that's that when they're taking that oath. Like that's $15 worth of vocabulary right there, right? An ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. And so what does that mean, that plenipotentiary? That means that Natalie Brown doesn't just work for the United States. That means that when Natalie Brown walks in the room, she is the United States. Right? She represents plenipotentiary, the, the, the defining nature of that ambassadorship means that you fully embody the authority which is sending you. We're raising the value on what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And, and that's really a powerful concept when we start to realize that if there's an invitation and an opportunity, a mandate at times to, to be that representative of the kingdom in a situation, it's not an employment. We represent the fullness of God's authority to the extent that he has sent us. And that's a really, really powerful statement. You know, and so my hope is that when we read this, we are, now then, we are ambassadors, extraordinary and plenipotentiary for Christ. We show up as the kingdom of God in the places that we are sent. And then finally, the, the, the last building block that we're pulling out of the, these couple of verses that will help us to then have this conversation is uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Now, righteousness, does, this is a really important thing to say in this day and age. Uh, righteousness does not mean that we are always right. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, if you look back at the last decade, there's a lot of lines that appear out of nowhere, and the polarization of, of the, our communities around us at every level around whatever That is not what we're talking about. Becoming the righteousness of God is not about becoming always right. We are still very human, very limited, and there is something that uh, is profoundly wise that God has designed us to require community, and therefore we must hold humility to recognize, you know, do you think God couldn't literally have put eyes in the back of our head? Why didn't he? Why did he design us in a way that we are oriented in one direction? Significant field of view, don't get me wrong. we got about 270 degrees. <laughs> but he absolutely could have put another eye right back in the back of my head, and I literally could see all around me. But he didn't. Our physically, we are physically designed in a way to, re- if we really want to have a full view, we must have community, Right? And that's just one example of the way God has designed us to need one another. I'm not always right. But I can still be the righteousness of God. Right? And there's actually a, connected, a connection conceptually to becoming the righteousness of God and reconciling, right? Being brought back into right relationship. And so when we see this, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ that we ourselves are becoming reconciled. All right, so what we see here, as we pull these two verses together under the banner of Christ came to reconcile all things, and then really dropping anchor here in 2 Corinthians, and trying to somehow find our way back to this idea of, I am the God who changes nations, we see that there's, there's an authority that's outlined here. Now, authority has, has two, point, two parts. We, we, we certainly see that there is an assignment here to be actively participating in re- making things right. So there's an assignment and a responsibility. But we don't see the complete picture of authority outlined here. You see, authority has two parts. Uh, there's the office of authority, and that's clearly established here. We are in Christ. Christ is doing this thing of making all things right. We have been given, it's been planted in us to do this and participate with him to reconcile all things. So we've been given the office, but there's another part of authority other than position. And that's the exercise of authority. It's a curious word. Anybody here love exercising? It's not me. I run when I'm chased. But there's the exercise of authority, and I think that's really important because the position itself is implied in the passage. However, the exercise of authority is dependent on an ingredient that's not found in this verse. It's a hidden ingredient. It's something that's not here but is very real. And that's curious, right? Why, why would there be a hidden ingredient? What, you know, if God is an all-knowing, all-loving, all-perfect, non-deceiver, like these are the part of the 
theological elements of who we know God is, he's revealed himself to be, why is he hiding something? Is he a trickster? Jehovah sneaky? No. No. You see, God only hides, he only hides treasure. If you look through scripture and you look for the things that are hidden, the things that are hidden are always worth the journey to find them. It's, he only hides things that he wants to reveal something in the pursuit of it. He hides treasure. He hides things of high value. The pursuit of it is part of the cost. Right? And so we have, we have the office of authority to be active in reconciling all things, but we, we, it's implied through, as we get to know the world around us and learn about the nature of God that there's, we have to pursue something else in order to actually exercise that authority. That's why, you know, if, you do, if you're not aligned with that, that's why you could go and you could say, God, we just pray for our city of Rochester. Redeem it. Heal people. Set people free. And then if we were to drive down J Street or Jefferson Avenue, we would not see that actively executed. Is that because there's something faulty with God? No. And even though we've been given the position to participate in that, something's missing. As with most things, when something's not going quite right, I, I should look in the mirror first and go, okay, if I'm involved and it's not working right, I'm probably part of the problem. And so there's something there that we have to pursue that's hidden in order to exercise that authority. And I would say that that missing ingredient is competency. We do have to be competent in order to exercise the authority that we're that we're given a position to, right? And that's, that's really important because power is protected by problems. Now, some of you are going, this is, this is a lot of ground to cover when we started out on, we had a nice, friendly-sounding little theme we were working on, but why? If we're going to start from the starting point of, I am the God who changes nations, we better understand why the nations haven't already been changed. And let me tell you, it's because power is protected by problems. The nations are not geographic, although they have a geography often. The nations are not political, even though that's often a part. The nations are people. People are powerful and precious, right? And and because of that, right, we talk about uh, you know, one of the phrases from uh, church history is to win for the lamb the reward of his suffering. We've heard that. We've sung it, right? The reward of his suffering. And, and the value of the reward, what is the reward of his suffering? The nations of the earth. We, you, you, me, the people of this earth are the reward of his suffering. And they're protected by problems. And what does that mean? I don't mean protected by brokenness and evil and darkness. I mean protected by the challenges that have to be pursued and worked through in order to develop competency that can actually deliver us into a place where we can exercise being those ambassadors. So that when we show up into those situations that we're called to be actively ambassadoring in, that we can actually show up not just as you know, someone who kind of works here, I don't know, I just, I just sweep up. No, that we can show up as the, as the kingdom of God in the areas and arenas that we're called to. 
I have the lamest slides, I know that. Like other people have cool slides, lots of backgrounds, moving things. Mine are all, I'm like really basic, right? So, so coming from there, when we talk about I'm the God who changes nations, whether it's in a whole nation or, or parts of nations, parts of our nation, there's a pattern in Scripture and there's a pattern that we see in our life of God raising up champions. And I don't mean, you know, one in a million, right? I just mean that when he wants to do things to bring things into right relationship, he is developing champions. Millions of us. Billions of us. His agenda is to raise up billions of champions. But champions, uh, in, a, in one simple definition, really have three ingredients. Passion, favor, and competency. Right? It's important to have passion for the part of change that God's calling you to participate in. God does not desire us not to be committed, heart, mind, and soul to things. Right? It's interesting. Sometimes when we're like, I, you know, we talk about doing things with all my heart, my mind, and my strength, right? Or my heart, my mind, and soul, depending on the song, right? And, but that doesn't mean, well, get yourself in order and get yourself in line and, and go do what you're told to do. No, God desires to, us to have passion, an authentic love and drive and desire to do what we're called to do. doesn't mean it's always happy, but there should be a passion there. Also, we need to have favor. There has to be some favor in the context of what we're called. Right? There has to be some openness, some receptivity. And, and, uh, and then finally, there does have to be some competency because uh, there has to be a, a wisdom, a practical wisdom and understanding, uh, skills and abilities that allow us to actually be effective. If you have passion, but you don't have favor, you're annoying. <laughs> Think about it. It's true. <laughs> We've all known people who have passion, but in the context where we are with them, they don't have favor. And so they're just annoying. They're not effective. Now, if you have favor, but you don't have passion, then you have to be pushed. Right? You have to be pushed and pulled and dragged. You might have all the favor, green lights all around. But if you don't really have passion, it's not, there's no, there's no re- resilience. Right? You have to be pushed and pulled. And in all cases, if you don't have competency, then you can't actually do anything effective. Like you might have all the passion in the world. People might love you. There might be open doors and opportunity presented to you. But if you do not have the practical skills and abilities, if you have not actually developed and pursued and have gone out into the field and dug up competency, then that will dramatically limit what you can possibly accomplish to be active in bringing all things in right relationship to God. Are we, are we taking this walk together? You know, the interesting thing is all of these are collaboratively, collaboratively cultivated in relationship to God. There, if you look at each one, there's a little bit different mix in each one, but there is a, there's a sovereign context, right? Like, I didn't decide to whom I would be born, where I would be born, uh, you know, what kind of, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, 
part of my personality that, you know, certainly there's part that's nature, part that's nurture, but there's a lot of the stuff that makes me, me, that God decided. He, you know, he wove us together. And so there's a sovereign context to me, and that, and that often can go, contribute to what I'm inclined to have passion for. There's an active orchestration, right? There's the Holy Spirit is living and active, moving around us, doing things. God, you know, I'm not bringing God anywhere he hasn't already been. There's this active thing happening in the world of God orchestrating things, bringing us together, helping us to meet things, people and have experiences. There's all kinds of stuff happening around us that the hand of God is active in. And then there's our agency. We are people with a will and an, and an ability and, an, and a, some carved out um, opportunity to make decisions and take action. We do have agency. It's real. And if you look at these things, passion, favor, and competency, there are things where all, you can see all three of these, uh, you know, God's sovereignty and just deciding some things are going to start out this way and happen. There's things that he is actively doing to establish and create a favorable environment, for instance. Like there's a lot of orchestration on the favor side. And then our agency always, you know, hey, there can be favor, but if I blow it, if I choose to be stupid, if I choose to do dumb things, say dumb things, you know, then that's going to ruin favor. My agency impacts the favor, right? And then our competency, you can see that's an area where we have heavy agency. And I say all this because if we want to acknowledge that I am a God who changes nations, it is reasonable from the foundation we laid this morning to go, oh yeah, that means he's going to do that most of the time, primarily through us. And that means in order to actually participate in that, whether you're in Avon, New York, or working in Uganda, we have to recognize the opportunity and responsibility I have to stay in this place of you know, exercising my agency, embracing what God's done and is doing, and recognize that, in, that intersection of passion, favor, and competency in my life. And a big part of what I really have to do is exercise my agency, my decision, to cultivate competency. As illustration, the work we've been doing in Uganda has been an interesting journey. I didn't know much about it when I first met the guy that we met in Lima at a barbecue uh, and began talking about Uganda and the need for clean water there. But it didn't take too much uh, conversation before I started to realize, oh, there's a lot to learn. The problem is, you know, you can really break it down in two major pieces, but we had to learn it. One was just understanding the, the, the water quality that we were hearing about in Uganda was just atrocious. You see uh, common scenes like this. I remember the day I stood, this was just a bulldozed pond, uh, and they collect water and runoff there, and this is where this young man is getting water for his family. And you can see there's cows in the background. They also get water there. The water is full of cow dung and algae and tadpoles and all kinds of muck. And, and so this represents a very common scene of understanding the problem of water quality there. And then we also had to understand the logistics, the fact that the work around water was robbing people of their purpose in Christ. Not people, but people and families and villages and communities and in a nation. Over 700 million people every day are dealing with this. If you live in Uganda, it's a coin toss. 
It's about half the people don't live with safe and sustainably managed water. And they spend hours walking for water, fetching wood to boil water, and waiting for water to cool down after you've boiled it. Like, I mean, parts of this problem that we don't even think about, but the logistics around this problem. And all of this was stuff that I wasn't aware of when I'm, when I'm having a conversation at a barbecue. But in order to actually have an impact, we had to go through this process of, of learning, and I had to understand these things, and we had to, the team that we started to, to bring together, we had to, we had to learn these things. And then we had to formulate solutions, and this is a handful of the solutions that we, uh, we work in. Oh, I'm missing an icon. Look at that. <laughs> um, so we do a lot of rainwater collection systems, which is great for like clinics and churches and schools. We, we do borehole rehabilitation where we've got broken wells that we bring back to life. We drill wells. We put in solar pumping systems, and we do water filters and, and uh, hygiene and sanitation projects. But all of these were things that had to be learned. And not just learning the, these things, but learning the context. We had to understand what is the 42 different language groups in Uganda, what does it mean to, to be part of these groups? You know, what is the difference in these subcultures, almost all of which are older than even the idea of our country? So there's this whole journey of understanding the context, of saying, hey, if we want to actually make a difference in, in these communities, what does it take? And we did. We formulated these solutions, and, and, and it's amazing the impact they can have. You've been part of supporting this for years, and, and uh, we actually shared with uh, Caleb when he came over uh, to our office. And I, did, you guys, did you have a chance to share that out to the church, the, the impact that you've been part of on the journey of all these different solutions of helping raise up staff, raise up professionals to make an impact in Uganda? And what's amazing is if by going through this journey of understanding, okay, we want to be part of bringing this part of Ugandan life back into right relationship, an infrastructure that can actually have an impact uh, in supporting the call of God on individuals, families, communities, and the nation. What do we have to learn? What do we have to know? Who do we have to know? Who do we have to become in order to be positioned to have influence at a, at a national scale? And the journey, it, it requires tremendous amounts of effort. And it was interesting because we tried a lot of things at, at different times. We, we, we were into, you know, helping to support street kids. And we're doing, like, microloans. And we're even doing, like, some first aid stuff. And, and we had to get to a point where we had to be really honest with ourselves and go, wow, we really are not very good at these things. We feel good at these things. <laughs> but that does not mean that we're exercising excellence and professionalism and actually having lasting impact. And some of our, our water projects were eh, kind of substandard, like solid C-minus work. And we realized that we had to embrace the journey in order to, you know, we recognized that, hey, we had a passion, right? We were cultivating the passion. God was starting to extend favor to us, but we really had a lot of work in that area of competency in order to actually make an impact. And we had to learn how to do things like actually prove we were making a difference. We had to get into the whole uh, nerdy world of data collection and, and uh, understanding what a logic model was. And, you know, we're going to do these inputs and have these interventions and these, these things. And we're going to have, you know, outcomes and an impact. A lot of technical work. A lot of academic stuff. Like, 
who had to embrace a journey of, of bringing together professionals and, and people that wanted to learn that could actually do this work. We had to raise a ton of money in order to have a ton of impact. And there was a cost to it, but it was worth it. It was worth it because of what we're called to be and what we're called to be part of, participating in God's desire to change a nation. Because the business we're in is not the water business. Right? We're in the business of reconciling all things. We're in the freedom and transformation business. And that's the business that God's in wherever he is. And where you live, that's what God's doing. And so... As we think about this idea of why Christ came, who we are in that work, the question to you is, where are you called to participate in God's desire to change the nations? I would would say, I would venture to guess, most of you are supposed to exert most of your energy and creativity to change the nation that you're sitting in right now. That is reasonable, that is good. I work in another country, I'm a missionary, and I will be the first to tell you, most of your life should be focused on the people that you do life with right here. And that's great. The reference of what we're doing and what we're seeing, the fact that we went from a barbecue to helping a couple churches to now we're working with members of parliament, and we are known in the Ministry of Water and the Environment, and we are partnering with districts, and we're talking, I mean, we're, I mean, people we have no business talking to, we are now talking to, because we've embraced the competency and that, that journey, and gotten to the point where God extends more favor, because we've stewarded the passion, and we've built out the competency, and now we can be entrusted to do more and have more authority. Right? Not just the office, but the exercise of it. And so it, it blows my mind that this ragtag bunch of people that, you know, used to drive around in an old van playing music birthed a community of people that we have 40 Ugandans that are on staff. We've got another six or eight over here on the U.S. side. And we've literally drafted legislation that has changed the national policy of Uganda. Last year, just last year, 274 major projects. 111,000 people got access to clean water. This year, we're actually trying to launch a uh, a maintenance program that will outlive the charity, that will form this intermediary solution between now and when Uganda actually has a tax base and have municipal water systems like we have here. But there's got to be something that goes from pond and pump to something here in order to get to there. And so where you're at in your life, I want to ask you, like, where do you see a passion that maybe you need to stimulate that a little bit, dig into that, find out what that means, figure out, you know, what is it that's breaking your heart? What is it that's giving, making you laugh out loud passion? Are you even willing to participate in that emotional side of it? Where are you seeing favor in your workplace, in your community, in your circle of friends, within your family? Where are you already seeing favor? And then here's the hard one. Rubber meets the road. Where do you just need to discipline yourself and embrace the journey of getting better? I've had the privilege 
to interact with people that are working in poverty alleviation in some incredible ways. And it breaks my heart how few of them are walking in close relationship with Christ. They are doing the work that God wants done in the world. And when I go, Lord, where are the people that are doing this and just in love with you? And he's saying, I'm waiting for them to embrace the work to actually exercise the authority that I want, I've set aside for them. And so where, where is that challenge and that, that invitation in your life where it doesn't matter how old, how old or how young you are, where do you need to grow in your competency so that we can participate in his plan to change nations? All right, we're at our time. But I said I wanted to be interactive, and so I'm going to take three questions, <laughs> and I'll get forgiveness later. <laughs> or, or it'll just be another five years before I'm back here, right? <laughs> Maybe that's what happened last time. All right, so we, I realize, like, you know, from the smoke coming out of the top of your heads, um, we covered a lot of ground. But... I am curious, where does this connect for you? And whether it's a question on the content that we just talked about or the work we're doing in Uganda, what questions, or, or honestly, where you're at in your own life, like, okay, I'm already to the point where I'm asking this about how do I move forward. What, let's take three questions. Yeah, go ahead. How do you connect what you're doing to the incredible thing? Yeah. How do you connect that with the salvation of people? Sure. All things. Right? So you have to recognize that, you know, I love planting churches. You know where it's really hard to do that? Graveyards. Seriously. If we have a purpose, we have to survive to execute that purpose. And so the reality is we have, we have fallen prey to this thinking that there are practical needs and spiritual needs. No. There are tangible spiritual needs and there are intangible spiritual needs. But all the whole human life, I am primarily spiritual. I do have one set of standard equipment to get through this life with. And so the reality is, we have the privilege of entertaining a thousand problems. When you don't have clean water, you only get one. And so if you want to see, you want to see people come to Christ, grow up in Christ, execute the fullness of who they're supposed to be in Christ, one of the key ingredients is making sure that they can actually be alive and healthy. And so, for us, we recognize that the demonstrated love of Christ, by providing those needs, is intimately connected to the gospel. And we see it on a whole bunch of other levels. I mean, when we, when we bring clean water into a community, it is such a powerful tool for uniting that community, opening up conversations. When we put clean water systems on churches, it helps churches that are absolutely impoverished. <laughs> And has, have unfortunately also succumbed largely to a poverty mentality. And then when we pro- say, hey, here's a water system. You're now a resource provider for this community. What they begin to do in the practical unlocks parts of their identity that have been, that have been, been in bondage to poverty. And they start to see themselves differently in relationship to the people who are around a vast majority of our work is done in relationship to local church and Christian uh, schools and, uh, and, and faith-related clinics and things like that. And so that's another layer. We work with community leaders, right? Community leaders that we say, hey, you are called by God to this office. How are you walking out, not just on a Sunday, but what does it look like on Monday? 
when, whether you're a business person or whether you're a political leader or whatever. And so there are so many little layers of how this meets the salvation experience and not just the salvation transaction, right, that moment of giving your life. Most of my life is not the moment I gave my life to Jesus. That was a really important point. But the, the greatest value in my life is the years I've spent following him. And so you can have people, again, the original, at the beginning I said, hey, if it's just about the moment of salvation, well, that's an altar call and an execution. But we know, we know, and I know you know, that it's actually about the journey lived out of, of embodying the moment of salvation into a life of salvation. And we're intimately connected to that. Does that help? Yeah. Great question. I understand that. Yeah. No, I, and I like what that, you, you were able to pull that into the conversation because it's a, it, it, we demand to know, like, why is this not just a social program? One more question. Yeah. More of a curiosity, if you could go into this stuff a little. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep it brief. When you start to, uh, before you start to drill someplace, yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into oh. <laughs> More than you can imagine. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, part of that competency of recognizing if we want to actually have impact at a national scale is you do have to know what you're doing. And so, yes, I'll say a whole bunch of things that won't mean much to most people. Yeah, when we're going to drill, we start by coordinating and doing a desk study with the district water office, finding out what the, what the performance of other drilling sites are. Then we bring in, we have hydrogeologists, and we come in and we do a VES sounding. And we, do a, we actually do a hydrogeological survey. We interpret that survey. Our country director is a licensed water engineer, educated in the UK, has a master's in water engineering. And, and then we, we cite that, and then we identify the best drilling contractor to come out and do this, and we do the design. And then on site, there's decisions that have to be made. And we, then we do test pumping, and then we, you know, so there's a, and we track the whole thing in a live cloud-based data platform. So all this stuff to say, like, it, so that... So that the end result is not just, hey, here's a well, but here's a well that performs well, supports you now, and provides safe water today, tomorrow, forever, right? Like, we're oriented towards what, do you, what, is, what is God doing in this place through these people so that water can no longer be the problem and they can actually focus on the other things they're called to. But yeah, it's a very technical, and if you want to talk technical stuff, I can totally geek out on that, like... Any direction. You want to talk geology, you want to talk, you know, alloys, whatever, yeah. One more, and then I'll give it back to you guys. So you can't stretch when I'm saying one more. If you stretch at the wrong time, I'm like, oh, yay, she's got a question. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Well, you know, the reality is there's, and again, that wasn't an exhaustive exploration of those things. But the truth is, uh, you know, some of us have been designed by God with different kinds of personalities that, that there's a chemistry in different environments. You know, I pick on Randy because Randy and I are friends. Randy and I do different things in different rooms. He can walk into certain rooms and he can, he can have easier access to favor than I can because of how God's made him for the environments he's in. There's a few rooms we're in where we have similar levels of favor, you know, and by room I mean environments. So it's not just all about personality by any means, but I do recognize that that's one element that I didn't control. Like that's an interesting combination of 
things I went through as a kid, and just some of the things in DNA that God kind of wove and sprinkled into me, right? And, uh, and so that's what I mean by that, that there's, there, we do have to recognize, like, hey, there's some situations where I'm not a good fit. Now, through maturity, I can become a better fit, right? Sometimes I can go, well, that's my personality. <laughs> like, you know, 16-year-old me thought it was just my personality. Well, no, it was a lot of immaturity. And so like a fine wine, <laughs> I can age and mature, and, and that does alter. We, we grow and change. Does that help satisfy that question a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. More? You got more? I like where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ab- absolutely. I think there is a, you know, you say it's all about God, and I would largely say yes, because I think I know what you're saying. I will say, he, his idea was to give us a, a, a real agency that is ours to execute. Because the truth is, and this is, a, you know, next time I can talk about this, the truth is there has to be real agency to our choices, because without it, we don't have a relationship. Right? We can't all be, it can't all be about determinism. Because then there's no actual relationship. And so, so there is a small ingredient that, that his joy is to give us to actually add to that. But you're right. He's, he's working in the things he lays in down foundationally and the things that he is orchestrating. And, and that's, a, that's a bigger part than what I contribute. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, we can talk some more between services. But I just wanted to say... Let this, let this percolate in you. Let it provoke you and recognize that the changing of nations that God is doing, he's doing through you right here, and he's doing through this church, and he's doing it through the people that you support. So God bless you guys.